All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, you guys excited? Man, wasn't that good? Let's give it up for the worship team one more time, man. I, it's, it, it's those kind of moments that you don't want to end, right? You want to keep going and, and, and keep doing, but I got to get up here and talk, okay? So Ricky has to cut it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, welcome. Thank you for being here. If you're new, my name is Moises. Yes, that is Noises with an M. If you need help with that, I can work with you on that later after the service. Um, I'm the pastor here. My wife, Rosie, and my son, Sebastian, are in kids ministry. They are here. Um, you don't get to see them as much because she's always helping. She's really involved in the pre-K thing. I mean, she's worried about me up here, but she's more worried about Sebastian back there, okay? So... Um, but we, we've been talking about the sermon series and I'm going to get right to it. By the way, though, if I, before I get into it, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you on the way out. Okay. Um, I, I, please, please, please. If we haven't met and, and you want to talk after, come, don't feel, if I'm talking to somebody, you can't interrupt. Okay. And that person talking to me that knows me already, don't get offended. Okay. I just gave him permission to do it. Okay. So, um, let's, let's get to meet one another. I really like that. I, I really enjoy the fact that new people are coming into this place. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. Um, last week, we spoke about the parable of the Good Samaritan when Jesus gave us this example to go and do likewise, leaving us with this idea that our call to love God also includes a call to love one another, helping us to understand that this new heart and new life that you and I get it should produce love, mercy, and compassion for those people who are hurting, in trouble, or in any kind of distress. Today, we'll be talking about this particular command from Jesus that talks about the result of the things that take place when we do life and when we make the decisions we make in life. Because the proof is in the pudding. Amen? You can't argue results. You can't argue results. The Pharisees had a horrible time with Jesus because a man in three years of ministry accomplished more than they did in their entire lifetime. So what they did is they criticized his methods by ignoring his results because you couldn't argue results. So they went after his methods. I understand you heal that person, but why did you do it the way you do it? Why did you do it on this day? Why did you go about it the way you did? The proof is in the pudding. Because none of us wake up every morning and say to ourselves, the decisions that I will make today will cause me to fail in life. We don't wake up in the morning and say, today, I want to do so bad that everything goes wrong. We want good results to follow the actions that we take. However, there are times when our approach to life can be misguided and our so-called efforts to be effective may end up making, we end up making decisions and taking actions that don't really have the effect or the results that needed to take place. Exercise is a great example of this. There are unique ways of exercise for different body types that are strictly based to get us the results we want. We structure an exercise routine that will effectively get us to where we want to get to. And everybody said amen to that. We all work out in the gym and all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you see how my voice instantly got deeper when I talked about the gym? <laughs> That's not part of working out. I just, I don't know why I think that. 
Sadly, we tend to treat our lives like we treat our bodies. We believe that our lives and the way we live them should be a one-size-fits-all. That the same exercise patterns and routines should impact us all the same way it always has. And we ignore the definition of insanity. Where we do the same thing over and over and expect somehow to get different results. The truth is, today I'm 38 years old. Woo! Man. I feel it when I wake up in the morning now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> some people are like, man, you're old. And some people are like, that's nothing. <laughs> you know, I used to eat a bowl of cereal at night and be good with it, right? Grab a cookie, some ice cream, and not feel as bad as I do now. You know, I, always, I was always scared of this idea. People would always come up to me when I was younger. Not anymore. They don't do it anymore. And one of the things that freaked me out the most is like, my dad was always a heavy set guy. He still is, okay? So he was always um, limited on the things that he could do with us and stuff like that. Eddie and I were always super active in how we, we, we were. We were in sports and did all these things um, growing up. But everybody, people would look at me because I, I, I was always a skinny little guy. And people would always look at me and say, I was your size when I was your age. <laughs> and it always like, I always looked and I was like, ah, you know, so that means am I going to be you when I'm your age or, you know, and, and it, it was always something that got, you know, it used to get in my head a little bit. I don't know why I just said that. I, I you know. Hmm. Oh, man. Come on. Hey, listen, if you've been coming here. Settle down, settle down. There's, there's new people in the house. <laughs> Come on, guys. First impressions are lasting impressions, okay? <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. This is going to get serious, I promise. So, so we, we, we tend to think that age and our bodies are, are some sort of punishment because of how it works. And, and our lives, like our bodies, is not a punishment, but a harvest. Okay? The results we get are the results that we put into it. It is a harvest, not a punishment. Our lives are a result of the work that we put into them. Our bodies are a result of the work that we put into them. Okay? We're going to be jumping in the text in John chapter 15, and I'm going to start by reading verse 16. Okay? And it says this, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Jesus chose his group of disciples with the idea that they would bear much fruit. In fact, that's not only a call for his inner group of disciples, that is a call for any follower of Jesus. We are all required at one level or another to bear fruit. The proof is in the pudding. All right? In Christ, our fruit or result of what we do can be measured in multiple ways. There is not a one-size-fits-all kind of scenario. Some of those ways, practical ways, could be our spiritual values, our godly character, how we react to certain things when confronted with them. 
in spiritual terms, to produce or bear fruit means to show outwards evidence of a true inward faith. That something has actually taken place within us that eventually starts showing out. Amen? But also bearing fruit for God is not only something that is measured with outcome. Sometimes God is measuring our intent and how we feel. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Okay? He's examining the heart and the mind. Okay? To determine whether our conduct was good. All right? So it's not always about a matter-of-fact result of what we do. It, always, it also includes some of the fruits that we bear within ourselves, in our feelings, in how we react to certain things. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruits of the Spirit. Most of those things are, are, are feelings, are internal emotions that get displayed outwardly. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As Against such things there is no law. This misunderstanding can cause us to pursue life and the things of it, seeking outcomes that may have nothing to do with the value of God's process in our lives. We may end up looking at life through an angle that God never intended us to look through, pursuing results that never intended to be there in the first place. In other words, we become blinded in seeking the result of God instead of seeking God himself which should be the priority in our lives. Jesus introduces this idea in the beginning of chapter 15, and I'm, I'm going to read you the text in verse 1. It says, and we're going to be in John chapter 15, where we're going to be talking about this this morning. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. In other, in other ways, he is the one source. God is the only source or of our fruitful lives. The vine is frequently used in the Old Testament when referring to the people of Israel, okay, but it's usually used in a negative term as them not meeting something. However, you, Jesus, in this case, if you see, he uses the word true, meaning that we need help understanding our connection to a vine that is the right vine the one from God, because there could be a potential that you and I can be connecting ourselves to vines that are not the true vine. And we may be receiving our sources from other places. Of the many pictures of the relationship between God and his people, the vine and the branches emphasizes complete dependence on God and our need of constant connection with him. This is so crucial for us to understand. Because the vine depends, okay? The branch depends on the vine more so than a shepherd, than a sheep depends on the shepherd, than a son depends on the father. It literally, it is the source of staying alive for the branch. Here's the big idea. Everything flows from God and through God. What could be a good example of this? Money. When we have enough money, we know exactly what to do with it. And we become independent 
of what to do. We, we, we want, hardly do you ever meet someone that says, I don't know what to do with this. We could think of thousands of things we could do with our money when we have a lot of it. But when we don't have enough, all of a sudden we, became, we become a very dependent vine of God. We all of a sudden are like super dependent on what he wants and what he needs because we need him. Okay? Now, Jeremiah 2.21 says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? We, we have truly convinced ourselves that happiness somehow in life can be found outside of this connection. We literally pursue our lives. If I were to ask you the question this morning, what makes you happy? Sadly, some of us will not have God in that answer. Some of us can think of many things that make us happy outside of God. And we have found this idea that happiness can truly be found outside of this connection with God. And, and it's a matter of fact question that could we be okay with life, with the current life that we have today, even if, he, if we knew that life wasn't going to change at all? Look at your life right now. And if I told you that's going to be your life forever, be grateful and thankful, would you be okay with that? Would you be content? Are you okay with the way life is currently? Or are we just waiting for the next thing to happen for us to be even better? Sadly, because we end up confusing pleasure with happiness. Pleasure is about the next hit to feel good in the moment. Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. A sense that my life is rich and satisfying as it is. Pleasure is about want. Happiness is about free from want. Most philosophers who, who specialize in ethics define happiness as a kind of contentment, a soul level of satisfaction where you're grateful for what is rather than grasping for more. What's to come? which means happiness comes as a result of our disciplined desires in every area of our lives, sex, diet, money. Happiness is what happens after you discipline your desires. And seeking this outside of this connection leads to an encounter outside of the true vine. In other words, you may be connected to something, getting nutrients from something that has nothing to do with the real stuff. You're like, but I'm happy. Are you? And what this does is it causes us to very likely overestimate what God will do through us in a short period of time in our lives and vastly underestimate what he could accomplish through our faithfulness in the long term. We get obsessed with the now and what could take place tomorrow and what can we accomplish next week and the instant result of our lives so we vastly overestimate what God can do in the short period, and then we tend to underestimate what he can do through us in the long haul. Because we don't want to think that far. We want our satisfaction now. We want fulfillment now. We think happiness relies on our involvement tomorrow and what our lives can give us tomorrow and what else we can get from it. 
Let's keep reading in John chapter 15, verse 2 to 3. See how I got serious all of a sudden? Uh-huh. Told you. I knew we were going there. You were just, it was like a nerve. For you, for you, our first time here, they were just nervous laughing earlier. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not that serious. All right, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So we see two simple categories here. No need to overcomplicate it. There's, there's fruitless and fruitful, okay? The father cuts one and prunes the other. However, in both examples, we see some sort of clipping and cutting of some sort, meaning that we can have this idea to think that no matter whether you're doing right by God or wrong by God, there may be a little bit of painfulness involved. There isn't a guarantee that life is going to be perfect. There's pruning and cutting. So whether you're bearing fruit or not bearing fruit, there's still a process that may be painful that will be involved. So even while doing everything right in life, we end up getting pruned by God. That is why we cannot familiarize troubles and tragedies as only results of sin causing some level of judgment or separation from God in our lives. We are the worst enemies on this. You and the devil. He's the accuser. And we, man, we have elephant memory when it comes to our sin. We don't forget it. We mess up today, something bad happens tomorrow, we say, that's what happened yesterday. I messed up. So this obviously must be a result of my wrongdoing. I told the team last week, Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sin for my own sake and will never what? Think of it ever again. Thank you, Lord. Because we can't do it. We have such a hard time doing this. We have a God in heaven who is telling you, I will never think of them again. Men, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't live our lives like that's truly taking place because we have elephant memory of our sin. And then we have a devil who's accusing us of our sin. Calling us by the mistakes we made. When there's a God calling us by our name and our purpose. Saying, I'm not thinking about it. Why are you thinking about it? We, I thought you asked me to forgive you yesterday. We confuse this with the pruning process of God. And we think that because we're being pruned to be better and to bear much fruit that something bad is happening in our lives and we, we have to correct some kind of issue in our lives. I love the, the example of the bread because Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. If we're the bread, Jesus is taking your life, he's blessing it, he's breaking it, and he's giving it, right? So what happens if I break the bread a little bit more? I could give it a little bit more. So if I break it in two, I could only give it to two. But if I break it in four, I could give it to four people. If I break it in six, I could give it to six. So the more God prunes you and breaks you, the more of a blessing you are going to be for his purpose. The more he's going to be able to give you. 
You understand how that works? He is pruning us to cause us to bear more fruit. You're like, I don't want it. For that reason, I'm out. But it's part of the process. There's a cutting process and a pruning process. You know, none of us will sit here in the room and say, God, break me more. But you have to understand that the plans of God for your life are important, are big. And maybe that takes a little bit more breaking, but he's taking you. He's blessing you. He's breaking you so then he can give you. We have to believe in that. These branches that, that the father prunes or, tr or trims solely go through this process to become even more fruitful. This means that when God removes from their lives anything that takes away from their devotion to Christ or hinders their life-giving connection to him. So it may seem like a painful process, like a discipline, like a challenging moment of life. But the end result is the sweet fruit of Christian character that brings honor and glory to Jesus through godly life and witnessing. Don't mistake your pruning for cutting. In fact, I'll take it a step further. The ancient Greek verb here, iro, that translates into take away or cut, is more actually translated to lift up. So, so we're talking about being pruned, and then there's this group of people that have done so bad that they're just being cut. And you're like, I must be in the cutting category, the way my life goes. I must be getting cut, and I have no chance. Well, according to the translation, back in the day, those who were caring for great vines made sure to lift them off the ground so that they may get more sun so that they could bear fruit. Right? So whether you're being pruned or cut, in either way, according to that translation, God, in either scenario, is trying to improve you. In some cases, it's more difficult than others. But in either case, God is trying to bring a benefit to our lives. I said a couple of weeks ago that sometimes winters are longer in the north. It's colder for some people, isn't it? For a little bit longer. That's why we live down here. We know what God is doing with us. So how, how do we accomplish this concept of, of like bearing fruit? So we get it, Moises. In either scenario, God is trying to, you know, he's the only source. He's trying to prune us. He's trying to get us to this place. So in either scenario, how do we get here? It's a very simple concept. Read verse 4 to verse 8. It says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch could bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away. Here, here in verse 6, it starts talking about Branches being cast away, not just cut or pruned. This is, this, is, this is it here. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and, and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
remain in me. Remain in me. I, I've shared with you this before that, you know, we, we, we as men are the source of our household. We're called to lead our home. I'm a firm believer in that. My wife and I have that agreement. She lets me lead the household. She knows that that's a strength. She is a great helper to me in that concept. She helps me a lot. But my son knows that I'm the leader, okay? And my five-year-old son, although that may feel like a lot of responsibility for me, God, even though he's calling me to be the leader of my home, isn't giving me my own source. I have a source that I can rely on. I tell my son, my sons, when we get to a crowded space like this, you know what Sebastian does? He reaches out for my hand. Right? And I grab him by the hand. That is his only worry. He doesn't have to worry about avoiding people, who to stay away from, how to know his way there or his way back. No, because a good father gives us only one responsibility, remain in me. Sebastian just has to know that if he grasps my hand and remains with me, we're fine. The same is true for our father. A concept found eight times in this one chapter, in John chapter 15, remain in me. Hold on to me. Don't let go of me. All right? The Greek word here is meno. It's the word used here. It means to literally continue and to live. Oh, man. How, how many times have you looked back at your life and said, if I could just have kept going? If I would have just pushed through? Because sadly, the easiest thing to do at times is to quit. It's, it's to quit. You know, I, did you know that adultery was grounds for divorce in Scripture? You know what it's also grounds for? Forgiveness. Quitting is the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest thing to take. Sometimes we get aggravated at work. I'm just going to leave this place. I'm just going to quit. Tomorrow, if I walk in and that person says what they're going to say to me, I'm quitting, I'm leaving, I'm done. My person, my wife's getting on my nerves. I'm, 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 I'm leaving. Leave me alone. Quitting is the easiest thing to do. Leaving, stopping, delaying, pausing, all signs of some mistake took place. They all carry a lack of momentum and could end up being a motivational killer for our lives and the future of what God is intending to do in our lives. Instead, what we're hearing the text say, according to that definition in the Greek word, is keep going, don't stop. If you continue, you'll live. Abide in me, continue, live. There's life connected to the journey that God has in store for you. There's life connected to it. Our responsibility is to hold on and continue. That's our source. God isn't asking you to figure out the way. God isn't telling you to avoid certain people in certain situations. 
God is just saying, if you would just grab onto my hand, you would be fine. Because desires don't determine what we become. Discipline determines what we become. If Jesus is asking us to remain in us, in him, is because we have the tendency to leave. If Jesus has to tell us eight times to remain in him, it's because you and I have the tendency to leave. It's that simple. This is not me judging it. I'm here. I sit at home and write this, and I sit there in tears writing it because God speaks to me. When God says, Moises, remain in me, are you satisfied with the life that you currently have? He said, Moises, I'm trying, but I just can't do it anymore. That may just be the problem. Craig Rochelle says this, stop trying and start training. He says, training is doing what I can do today to enable me to do what even more tomorrow. He says, when we try, we're going to become something we're not. But when we train, we're becoming more of what we already are. I don't try to be a good husband. I try, I train to be a great one. If my wife was sitting here, she would say, amen. <laughs> don't tell her I said that. Friends, you know, you know how you know you're burned out? When the things you used to love become a burden. That's how you know you're burned out. When something you were passionate about, you used to love to do it, becomes an inconvenience. Becomes something that's like, ah, we got to go and do this. How do we remain? How do we train to remain? We spend more time reading and studying God's word so that this, this truth gets into our minds and hearts and continually serves as a guide for our actions. You say, Moises, I don't like to read. Well, you're in trouble. Because one of the biggest sources of our faith, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, was written. Lucky for you, they got it in audio now. So you can start at least listening to it. So we study God's word. We maintain a positive habit of prayer, which involves listening to Jesus and drawing strength from him. You know what lack of prayer reveals? Lack of prayer reveals our lack of dependence in God. I got it. I don't need to talk to you about it. It's okay. I can figure this out. And then we have to be obedient, which demonstrates true love for Jesus, for Christ. Prayer is not the answer, it's the beginning. The answer is our obedience to what God has called us to do. See how that works? You can't have one without the other. We got to be in the word of God. We got to pray to God. We got to obey what he's calling us to do. That's how we remain in him. That's how we train to be better. Usually when we're good at something, we just keep doing that. That's the easy thing to do. I love to read. I, I can sit at home and read and read and read and read while I eventually have to pray. 
I love reading. My dad loves reading. We share books with one another. It's something that's just been embedded in me. I love to do it. I can sit there and read all the time. My, my, my son is constantly telling me, Dad, no more Bible, no more Bible. Not because I'm always reading the Bible. He just thinks every book I'm reading is the Bible. You know, one, one of the things I have learned is that from training is that it'll require me to train areas of my life that I'm necessarily not strong at. Eventually, you're going to have to squeeze in a leg day here and there. You know, you know. You know what I'm saying? Working on only the areas that you're strong at is going to make you look unbalanced, isn't it? We've all seen the pictures. <laughs> Right? Got the dude that's really big, doing chess every day, and skinny legs. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If you're out there, God bless you, okay? But the danger is that if we are not intentional, we're going to end up making things that were meant to be holy common. And we will fall into a place in life where those things that were extremely important to us things that were directly from God to us will become common in our lives. Leaving us empty and looking elsewhere, not realizing that we have connected ourselves to the opposite source and we're not with the true vine anymore. And we don't understand why there's this void within us. People don't fall out of love from God, they fall out of repentance. It's the I got it attitude. That I'm good from here. This entire scripture talks about a dependability on God that has no other option. That includes no other avenue. It's a binding in him. The only thing that you can hold on to me, I will let you down. I'm sorry, because ultimately, you have to have a direct connection with God and one that remains in Him. The Bible says later on, verses 9 to 16, and it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you things, I have told you this so that my, jo my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. If you do not, <laughs> if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants but because servants do not know his master's business instead. You did not choose me. No, instead I have called you my friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, 
the Father will give you. Me. That, that concept. If you do what I'm telling you, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. Because you know everything that I know. I've told you everything. Remain in me. Our obedience is a large part of maintaining that relationship and fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Obedience and love must always go together in our relationship with God. I'm a firm believer that leadership without love is manipulation. The best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time. And the best time to love is now. You're like, Moises, but I'm missing a few things in life. There's no way I could just walk around in this purpose, okay? I don't think you're lacking anything. The Bible says, for everything I've learned from my Father, I made known to you. You may be lacking understanding, but you're not lacking in need. We are all using the resources made available to our disposal. Think of this. If I gave you $1,440 to deposit into your bank account every day, and I said, I'm giving you this, and I told you, however, you have to use all of it because at the end of the day, that money's gonna disappear. It will, you will have to put in an effort strategically to use $1,440 a day to figure out how to spend it. You may be sitting here thinking, when do we start? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the reality is that all of us in this room get 1,440 minutes a day. And at the end of the day, those minutes expire. So whether you bear fruit with it or not, has been 100% your choice. Whether you decide to use those minutes accordingly has been 100% your choice. If you've decided to let go of God's hand and use some of those minutes for your own gains and your own wants and your own pleasures and desires, that was on you. The reality is that was your resource and at the end of the day, it disappeared. So is it bearing fruit? Is it bearing fruit? You want me to make this about you? I'll make it about you. The Bible says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you Ask my father. The father will give you. I wonder who God is talking to. He may be talking to us and asking us for a level of accountability for the fruit we bear as believers of Jesus. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. All right? Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Jesus, I just want to thank you, God. 
God, it feels like a lot of responsibility to talk about this idea of bearing fruit for you, God. It's heavy because this, is, this room is, is full of unworthy individuals. But you say, according to your word, that if we, if we just remain connected to you, if we would just remain in you, if we, if, we, if we just decided as individuals not to quit this morning, that you will take us to places that we had never even imagined we would be able to reach. So I pray that you would build a conviction within the crowd today, Lord. Each individual in this room, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch their lives right now, Jesus, and that there would be a conviction within them to realize that staying connected to you should be priority number one for their lives, for their household, for their church, their community. That if we would just hang on to you, God, and just rely on you, that our lives would come together as you intend them to be. God, thank you so much for speaking to us this morning. I could only pray, Lord, that you would help us in this coming weeks to just obey you and follow you as you are our only source. This thing lives and dies on you, God. Help us to not only understand that, but live by it. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Can we get God glory this morning? Yeah, that was good. Thank you, God. Thank you.